morning we'll be in James 5. I'd invite you to take a pew Bible and turn to page 1073 and, and follow along with us in a moment. Years ago, there was a young girl whose name was Jeannie. She was called a feral child because she had suffered under the hands of extreme abuse and neglect. Her father, from the time that she was tiny, had locked her in a room, tied her up so that she couldn't move, and barely provided enough sustenance for her to live. She was allowed no exposure to to other people. And so you can imagine this young girl was in a lot of trouble. Well, eventually, her plight came to light, and the state took custody of Jeannie. And as they looked at what had happened to her, she was unable to speak. She had no language. She had no social skills whatsoever. Of course, she was of interest to linguists and psychologists and scientists who wanted to to examine and consider the effects of that kind of isolation on a person. And for a while, she was uh, uh, the period of much study. Well, this little girl's isolation was obviously devastating for her mental and her social development. Of course, her situation, it's extreme. But in many ways, we're a bit like Jeannie spiritually. What I mean is this, often when it comes to our spiritual lives, we've sort of isolated ourselves. It's me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else. It's just me and him. I've got this. I don't need other people involved. What kind of effect does this spiritual isolation have on our walk with Christ? Or to put it another way, how do others help us grow in our relationship with the Lord? How do they help us thrive spiritually? These are the questions that we'll think about as we conclude our journey this morning through the book of James. Let's look at James 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This text teaches that we have a responsibility to care for each other as a faith family. How do we do that? Let's look in verse 13. James says, if anyone is suffering, then, then he should pray. The tense of the verb suggests habitual action or ongoing action. In other words, in the face of suffering, we should keep praying. We should keep bringing our needs to the Lord, calling out to him, crying out to him. We, we know that God cares. So James says, call out to God. Next, James says that if anyone is happy, then let him sing praises to God. Now think about this. When we suffer, 
Often we recognize our need for God, but when we're happy and things are going well, oftentimes we forget the fact that we need to to be close to God. So James reminds us that when life is good, we still need to keep a focus on God, on, on honoring him. So to sum it up in all situations, whether good or bad, we turn our focus toward the Lord. So he's, here's a key principle in caring for each other. We must remind each other to look to the Lord in all things. Must remind each other to look to the Lord in all things. Do you remember when you were in school, maybe in a class you had an A early on and you thought, I got this. Then you sort of, well, you let your focus on that class kind of fade. And the next thing you know, grades were coming out and you were close to making a D. You were hoping that you were going to make a D. Well, what happened? You were doing so well. You had an A. What happened is that you started coasting. And the next thing you know, your grade revealed that. This can happen in our Christian lives too. Things can be going well. We've got this going on, that going on, and we can get distracted. We can get sort of comfortable and we can begin to drift away from the Lord. So what is James's solution to these kinds of problems? Is it self-help? It's not. What's James's solution? It's other believers. So what does verse 13 teach us about caring for each other? Help each other look to the Lord in every situation. Help each other look to the Lord in every situation. How do we put this into practice? Well, first, encourage fellow believers to stay close to the Lord. In situations of struggle and heartache, Help your brother or your sister keep looking to the Lord. Sometimes in the midst of suffering, our faith can can really struggle and we can begin to ask, how could God do this? How could he permit this into my life? And we can struggle. We need the support of other believers who can't answer those questions, but who can put their arm around us and say, friend, I want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. That, we, we need to do that. We need to be that for each other. In the same way, in times of happiness and success, we need to continue to remind each other, hey, Things are good. Keep looking to the Lord. Don't forget him. Don't, don't let your focus fade into other things. Next, get involved in a Bible study group. Get involved in a Bible study group. In a smaller group, you have the opportunity to deepen relationships in a way that's impossible in a larger group. I desperately wish that every member of First Baptist Church was a part of a Bible study group. I would love that. It would thrill my soul. And I think it would help us walk with the Lord more faithfully as a church family. So we help each other look to the Lord in every situation. In what other ways do we care for one another? Let's look in verses 14 and 15. James says that if someone is sick, that person should call for the elders to come and pray. Obviously, this is a serious illness because the person apparently isn't able to to go to the elders. Instead, the person is calling for the elders to come to them. This This is a serious illness. Well, who are the elders? Well, the word elder is simply another word for pastor. We see that in the New Testament. And the churches in the New Testament had multiple elders. Some were paid elders and some were lay elders. They were responsible. These men were responsible for leading and shepherding the church. We see one of the responsibilities right here in James 5 to pray for those who are facing serious health issues. So James says that the elders ought to pray for the person who is ill and anoint them with oil. Now in the Bible, the idea of anointing with oil can refer to the act of consecration. For example, King David, when he was anointed king in 1 Samuel 16, 13, or it may refer to oil being used 
medicinally. For example, the Samaritan poured oil on the wounds of the injured man in Luke 10, 34. So if James is referring to oil in the medical sense, then he is calling for both medicine and prayer in the light of illness. On the other hand, if this verse is to be understood ceremonially, then the anointing would be a symbolic act in which the elders anointed a person with oil and set them apart for God's special care. Either way uh, could be an acceptable way to understand the verse. When James says that this prayer and anointing should occur in the name of God, what he's saying is that this prayer should be in accord with God's will, should be in accordance with, with his will. James says that the prayer that's offered in faith will bring healing. That prayer will bring restoration. We know from other places in Scripture that it isn't always God's will to heal. So it's important that we recognize that when we pray, ultimately we're submitting to the will of God. We, we know that by looking at other places in Scripture. We see where Scripture talks about prayer and sickness in other places, and we see that God doesn't always promise that he heals all of our physical ailments. In fact, in John 5, 14 and 15, the Scripture says, this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him. So, so what does this passage say? It says that God answers prayers according to his will. Is it always God's will to heal someone? Well, the apostle Paul had what he called a thorn in the flesh, and it was likely some sort of a physical ailment. We're not positive, but, but that's what many scholars believe. And Paul prayed for relief from, from this thorn in his flesh but it wasn't God's will. In 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9, the apostle says, concerning this thorn in the flesh, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. So God didn't take the thorn away from Paul. Instead, he gave Paul the grace to endure. And sometimes that's the way God works in the face of, of our difficulties. James mentions that if a person has committed sins, these sins will be forgiven. In 1 Corinthians 11.30, we see clearly that some physical illness can have a spiritual cause. We see that in James. We see that again in 1 Corinthians 11.30. Notice that when a person is healed, it is the Lord who heals. It isn't the elders. It isn't the oil. It isn't ultimately the prayer. It is the Lord himself. He may use these, but it is the Lord who is at work to heal. I heard the story of a young preacher who was in school. He was training to, to, to do ministry. And one particular assignment was to visit a nearby hospital and to pray with uh, patients that were in the hospital. So they were taking turns. They would go in the room a few students at a time, and one of them would pray. Well, it became time for this young man to pray, and he was pretty nervous. And so he, he went into the room. He greeted the lady as she was laying in that bed, and and he asked her, ma'am, could, could I pray with you? And so he began to pray that God would heal that woman and that he would prevent any kind of recurrence of the illness that she was facing. Well, after that prayer, he walked into the hall and he was so relieved. He had his first prayer visit behind him and, and he had survived. When the others in the group told him that he had just walked out of the room of an expectant mother, 
Now, that wasn't the best prayer to pray in that situation. But you know what? Scripture is clear. In the face of serious illness, it is appropriate to call on the church and to have the pastors pray. That's a right thing to do. What do verses 14 and 15 teach about caring for one another in the church? Request prayer from the elders of the church when facing serious health difficulties. How do we apply this in our lives? Well, if you're facing a difficult health issue, call on the leaders of the church to pray and the church's elders should go and should pray in faith and call out to the Lord for healing. Next, don't get tricked by the preachers on TV. These guys tell you that it's always God's will to heal, that he'll heal you physically if you just have enough faith. It usually helps if you send them a check too. Some of these same guys will even tell you not to seek medical help. But you know what? They'll say, just pray and have faith. Trust God. Don't, don't, don't diminish your faith by seeking medical help. But this is foolishness and it's unbiblical. It's unwise. We've seen that in serious health difficulties, a person should call for the prayers of the leaders of the church. What do verses 16 through 18 teach us about caring for each other? Well, knowing that sin can cause physical illness, James urges believers to be serious about confronting sin in their lives. He urges these Christians to confess their sin to other people. Why on earth would James suggest that? Some of you are going, do what? There's no way I'm going to confess my sin to anybody else. It's nobody else's business. That's between me and God. But why would James say that? Because James knew that a key to breaking free from our sin well, it's to get it out in the light. It's to turn the lights on. When things are in the dark, Satan thrives. Sin has a way of, of being a little bit like mold. When it gets in a, in a moist environment that's dark, it can just grow. And so James says, bring it out into the light. Now, James doesn't mean stand in the front of the church and confess all your, your dark secrets. He doesn't mean that. He means find another believer to who are mature that you can share with and ask for prayer and seek accountability with. That's why James says, get it out of the dark. James says that the prayers of a person who knows the Lord and who strives to follow him are very effective. God uses those prayers greatly. Of course, a person who's walking with the Lord and seeks to honor him is going to be a person who's more likely to pray in accordance with the will of God. Now, I don't know how the prayers that we offer and the sovereign God fit together. I can't figure all of that out. But I'm confident that God's word teaches us accurately that our prayers matter, that God hears our prayers, that God uses our prayers. It's a little bit like the old country preacher Vance Havner used to say, I don't know how a black cow eats green grass and gives white milk, but I sure like ice cream. <laughs> so we pray as God commands and we trust him. We, we don't understand it all. We don't understand all of his plans, but we pray in faith and we trust that God will work for our good. Next, James gives an example to support his point. He gives the example of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. Elijah prayed it wouldn't rain for three and a half years, and it didn't rain. And then Elijah prayed that it would rain, and it did. Sometimes we need an Elijah, don't we? Not as much lately. But Elijah, James says, was a man 
just like us, just a plain human. And God used his prayers in great ways. So what do verses 16 through 18 teach us about caring for each other? We should enlist the help of fellow believers in our battle with sin. In our spiritual battles, we need the help of others. I read about a lady named Catherine. Catherine went on a solo hike along the Pacific Coast Trail starting in Mexico. She was going to make the journey all the way up to Canada. She had made it 2,500 miles when she met a lady. She was up in Washington State. This lady named Nancy was on a day hike. They began to visit a little bit, and Nancy had heard the weather was going to get worse, and so she asked Catherine, you've made it this far, but do you have snowshoes? Because I think snow may be coming. And Catherine said, no, I don't have snowshoes, but I'll be fine. I've, I've made it this far. I only lack 150 miles or so. And so Catherine continued on her journey, but Nancy went home. And over the course of that weekend, she was just troubled, worrying that her newfound friend wasn't going to be able to, to make it. And so she finally, after seeing the forecast of, of a few feet of snow and that snow beginning to fall, she finally contacted 911 and she just shared where she thought the lady might be, and what she was worrying about. And it turns out that rescuers found a, uh, some feet prints in the snow, and they followed those, and they were able to locate Catherine, who was delirious at this point. Her clothes were soaking wet. Her, her sleeping bag was soaking wet. She was in an area where she had absolutely no cell phone service. She had apparently screamed and cried out for help, but no one had heard her. No one had heard her cry out. Well, she was rescued and and she lived. It turns out that Catherine said the reason she went on this journey along this trail alone was because she was losing faith in humanity and she just wanted to be by herself. And she said after this experience, she had regained her faith in humanity. She had regained her confidence in, in other people. You know, when the going gets tough, we often find ourselves alone. We often find that we've decided we're going to take a hike and we're going to do it by ourselves. I don't need anybody else. I'll do it my way. I've got the Lord. And then when things get tough, we find ourselves like Catherine did, isolated, alone and in trouble, and we recognize we need help. We we need help. We need fellow believers alongside us. God doesn't intend for us to take the dangerous paths of this life alone. One of his greatest sources of strength in our lives are fellow believers. Sometimes fellow believers can be frustrating, but that's also a part of God's plan. It sanctifies us as we learn to get along with each other and as we learn to let things go and as we learn to forgive, that's all a part of God's plan. It's all a part of his shaping us. We do not need to take these dangerous paths without fellow believers by our side. God never intended that. So how do we think about these truths in our lives? Well, first recognize that some sicknesses that we have are caused by sin. Our own sin can cause sickness. God can bring discipline into our lives. Now, we need to recognize that this isn't, of course, true of all sin at all. But if if we would heed the warning here, it's stay close to God. Don't come into a, a, in our relationship with God. Don't come to a place where we need his discipline. 
No, instead, stay close to him. But again, when we face sickness, we don't need to immediately assume that it's God's judgment. We need to ask that question, have I done something that's brought us discipline into my life? But we certainly shouldn't assume that's the case. We know from Job that you can face all kinds of, of health issues and difficulties, and it have nothing to do with your sin. You could be fully righteous. Next, confess sins to those you've wronged and seek reconciliation. Is there somebody that you've wronged, somebody that you haven't treated right, that you've sinned against? Then confess that to them. Seek reconciliation. James says, confess your sins. Next, confess sins that trouble your conscience or habitual sin, sin where you just keep struggling or keep struggling. Confess that to to one or two believers uh, of the same sex and and ask for prayer, ask for support, ask for help. Trouble with, with alcohol, trouble with prescription drugs, difficult marriages, pornography, flirting with an affair, same-sex attraction, fear and anger, depression and anxiety. Though all of these aren't always sin, all of them are difficult battles and we need help along the way. We need support. Some of the best help can occur right here in the family of God as we share with each other, as we pray together, as we support each other and walk alongside each other. That's how God designed it. That's why he wants every believer to be a part of a faith family. Next, be the type of person that others can lean on. Be committed to walk close to Jesus and and to care for others. When a fellow believer entrusts you with spiritual struggles, then be faithful to pray for them. Be faithful to, to give them accountability and to help them get on the right track. And so we've seen that we sh- that as believers, we, we need others to, to help us in our spiritual battle. How else do we care for one another in the body of Christ? Let's look in verses 19 and 20. Sometimes believers stray from the truth. That's what James says. A Christian may begin to doubt God during times of suffering, or a believer may have become so busy they've inadvertently drifted away from God, or maybe they've gotten into a relationship that that isn't really good or, or healthy for them, and they've begun to be pulled away from the Lord, whatever the scenario, it's clear that sometimes as believers, we wander from God. James says that the one who rescues a wandering believer saves that person's soul from death. On verse 18, James is focused on Christians who've wandered from God. In verse 19, he seems to broaden that a bit. He's probably speaking even of those who don't know the Lord, who don't have a relationship with God. But when Christians help a a struggling believer who have gotten on the wrong path, James says you're rescuing them from from death. What kinds of death? Well, physical death. Ultimately, our sin can can cause us to die physically. Think of a drug overdose. Think of drinking and driving, the dangers that come there. It can save us from the heartaches and death-like weight that sin brings. So he says when you help a struggling believer, you're rescuing them. You're helping them. And of course, When you help someone who doesn't know the Lord come to know Jesus, you're saving them from hell itself, from eternal death. In Galatians 6.1, the apostle Paul says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. According to Paul, to help a believer who's gotten off the path, we need to be spiritual We need to be gentle. We need to be humble and wise. In other words, we need to have our own heart right. 
So we need to be where, where we're supposed to be with the Lord so that we can actually help another believer get back on track. Friends, if you saw a blind person who for whatever reason was about to wander onto a busy street, what would you do? Would you just watch as this person went into incoming traffic? Would you do that? No, you wouldn't. You would take off and you would try to stop them and say, hey, hey, don't go that way. This is dangerous. Be, be careful. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do for each other in the church. We're supposed to, to warn each other and help each other get back on track. Sometimes sin can blind us. Sometimes we've allowed sin to blind us so that we don't even see reality. And we need another believer who will love us enough to go, hey, don't go there. Don't go there. It's dangerous. Don't take that path. Come, come back. Come home where you belong. That's what God is, is calling us to do. So how do we care for one another? According to verses 19 and 20, we attempt to rescue those who are wandering from God. We attempt to rescue them. How do we live these truths out? Well, first, ask God to show you your own sin and to get your own heart right. And then lovingly reach out to the one who has wandered. Reach out to them. Speak the truth with gentleness, with love, with humility, with wisdom. And then lead the results to God. Allow the spirit of God to, to move in their hearts. Keep loving them, being a friend to them. Keep pointing them home. Next, share the gospel. Do you want to see someone saved from death? Then tell them the good news. Tell them that God is holy, that he's pure, that he can't accept our sin. That each one of us is guilty. We're, we're sinful. And because of that, we're estranged from God. We're separated from God. But that God loves so much that he sent his own son to come to this earth and to die on a cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took the death that you deserve, that I deserve upon himself. He took the weight of our sin upon himself and he made a way for guilty sinners like you and me to have our sin washed clean. You see, when a person turns from their sin and places their faith in Jesus, God saves. God gives eternal life. That means life that will never perish. He gives them eternal life. You want to rescue people? You want to see people rescued from death? Then generously, liberally share the gospel. Make Jesus known. What have we learned from this passage if we ask big picture? We are called to care for one another in the family of God. We're called to care for one another in the family of God. And to go back to one of the questions we ask at the beginning of this sermon, do we need other people? You bet we do. We are not meant to isolate ourselves spiritually. That's not New Testament Christianity. In the recent California wildfires, there was a bus driver named Kevin McKay. He drove a school bus along the dark roads that were burning with fire all around, a school bus filled with kids and a couple of teachers. Well, smoke along the way began to, to flood into the bus, and there was great danger. So the bus driver took his shirt off. They began to tear, he and the other teachers, tear his shirt into small pieces. They doused them with water and they distributed them to the kids for the kids to, to cover their mouths and, and breathe through those small pieces of cloth. It took five hours for this bus to reach safety. One of the teachers said that there were several points along the way that she was sure they were going to die. She said, I just cried out in, in prayer to God. And she said, I'm convinced we had the bus driver from heaven. Now this 
friends, is a picture of what the church is supposed to be like. None of us alone. We're in this thing together. Each one of us does our part to help and to rescue each other. This journey of life is treacherous. We need each other. In fact, it's critical that every person in the church does their part. There's far too many of you for two or three pastors to be able to do all these things for each other. God didn't intend it to be that way. Instead, he intended for each one of us to use the gifts that he had given to to minister to to each other. Of course, in especially difficult situations, pastors step in. That's clear from, from the word. But otherwise, this is just what we do in our relationships with one another. We're meant to be caring for each other, helping each other, helping each other keep going and not lose heart. So brothers and sisters, I ask you, if you're a believer, what's your next step? Is it to become a member of a faith family instead of kind of staying on the outskirts? Is it to say, you know what? I'm going to become a part of the family. I'm going to be a part. I recognize that's what God's word's calling me to. Is it to get involved in a Bible study group where you can actually know people and people can know you? Where you can actually have better spiritual interaction and not live in isolation? Is it to get a prayer partner? that you can pray with and share difficulties and struggle with or, or a couple of friends that you could meet together for coffee every, every week and, and, and share and pray together. Whatever your next step is, I plead with you to take that next step. Don't live in spiritual isolation. That's not God's plan for you. It stunts your growth spiritually. It keeps you from being all that God wants you to be and it puts you in dangerous situations. If you're here today and you're not a believer, then God is inviting you to become a part of his family. You see, when you turn from your sin and you call out to Jesus in faith, he adopts you. You become his child and and he intends for you to be a part of of a faith family. So today, would you become his forever child? Would you call out to him? Would you know eternal life? Let's pray.